Hello, I'm Faisal Pervez, a South Asia analyst at Stratfor, and this podcast is brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, the world's leading geopolitical intelligence platform. Individual, team, and enterprise memberships are available at worldview.stratfor.com slash subscribe. We've been at war for so long, there's been kind of a fracture in uh, the moral compass. And um, some of them, I, I look at the studies of the, the actual case itself and say, that guy deserves to get barbecued. Other ones, I look at it and say, oh, I'm not so sure. Hi, I'm Fred Burton here on the Pen and Sword podcast with Brad Taylor, who has written Hunter Killer, a Pike Logan novel, and it's going to be published by HarperCollins on January the 7th, 2020. Brad, welcome to Pen and Sword. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Brad, I see that you grew up in rural Texas. What part? Uh, Conroe, Texas. It's not rural anymore. When I grew <laughs> up there, it was, it was incredibly rural, but now it's basically an outskirts of Houston. And you went to the University of Texas, so you're a Longhorn. I am. I am indeed. Believe it or not, I majored in advertising. Advertising at UT, huh? Actually, uh, when I, I, I had my what I call my first freshman year, and I was electrical engineer, which was horrifically bad, and almost flunked out of school, and I, I ended up uh, joining Army ROTC and decided to go in the Army. That's what I was going to do for my life. So then I basically looked and said, uh, what's the quickest path to a degree? Because that's all they want. And it was advertising. So that's what I did. And so from there, you go into the Army and you end up with the Special Forces as a Lieutenant Colonel. Yeah, I retired. Special Forces Lieutenant Colonel. Yep. And you served with Delta. I did. I know from my days and looking at events around the world that we would always set back, whether it be at a U.S. Embassy or just look at some of the hostage takings that took place uh, and say, uh, oh, my goodness, if we ever get in trouble, we know that the folks from Delta are there to, to basically come and get us out of harm's way. Yeah, I wish we could have been in a lot more positions than we, than we ended up in, to be honest with you. When you make that statement, what do you mean? Uh, there's just a lot of times. There's, uh, I mean, you work for the, the, the State Department. There's just a lot of different variations that go on with uh, machinations at the higher level of whether this has worked, whether we can do that, whether we can do that. Is the intelligence there? Uh, is it time to pull the trigger, basically? And uh, you get frustrated with that. Yeah, I know, especially with uh, you folks at the at the tip of the spear. Now, after you get out of the military, you retire. You become the assistant professor of military science at the Citadel, which is a wonderful institution. I was uh, actually still in active duty at that time. Oh, that was my last assignment. Oh, so you were like seconded there as a professor in in yeah. residence? Yeah. Well, was, I was actually the XO of the ROTC department for the Army department. Is what it was. It was an active duty Army position. And when did you start writing the Pike Logan series? I did it there. I literally I, I left a special mission unit at Fort Bragg, uh, and I was just going to take a break. I had no intention of leaving the military, and uh, got down there and uh, teaching ROTC, as you might imagine, is nowhere near as hectic as uh, <laughs> being a special mission unit. And so I had a lot of time on my hands. I literally did. Once I formulated the classes, I made some classes on terrorism, made some classes on insurgency, that kind of stuff. And after that, it was kind of rinse and repeat. And so a bucket list item of mine was uh, just internally was to write a book. And so I um, I wrote a book. I didn't think it'd go anywhere. I thought I'd sit on the nightstand. You know, my mom would say she liked it. <laughs> and uh, it sold. And so that kind of started me on my path. And my goodness, what a path it's been with 
14 different books and over 2 million copies sold. Uh, you really are in that rarefied air of uh, thriller writer. Yeah, nobody's more surprised than me, I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, how do you stay fresh with your stories? Tell me a little bit about the plot with Hunter Killer for our listeners. Yeah, I, I stay fresh. Uh, I guess the best thing is every morning I wake up and I spend probably an hour and a half reading news feeds from all over the world. Uh, and Stratfor is one of them. I, I mean, I, every, I get feeds from everywhere, foreign policy, AI monitor, all these other places, hacker news. Everybody's got these feeds. And so I just read them. And most of the stories don't make the United States press when I'm talking mainstream press of Fox News or uh, ABC News or something like that. But it's something that will pick my interest. And in Daughter of War, my last book, I was uh, dealing with a Syrian refugee running around as a North Korean plot. And I had uh, Wagner, which is a – I'm sure you're aware of the private military company in uh, Russia that's running right. around. They're everywhere. I mean they're right. in Central African Republic. They're in Libya. They're all over the place, all over Syria. And um, they were kind of a tangential part of the book. The more research I did, I was like, these guys are kind of monsters. And I, I ran across a story about the Lulu oil fields inside Brazil, and they were trying to sell the leases. And then they had an election going on, and the president was in jail, still running for election. And then Venezuela happened with the uh, Wagner guys going down there to protect him. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting if they wanted to get into our near abroad? Because Russia, they don't like us in what they call their near abroad, all the ring states, the Baltic states. And so they want to project force over here. Wouldn't it be interesting if they came over into our near abroad and did something in uh, Brazil with the oil fields and, and the election? And that's what the book's about. As part of your craft, Brad, how do you go about uh, making the sausage? The, uh, actually, it, it kind of changes each book. I, I, I get asked a lot about whether I'm, you know, what's my schedule, so to speak, or, or you know, how do I write a book? And each one has been different. Each one has gone, um, some books I finished, well, a lot of the books, I was writing two books a year for a while there, and so then you didn't get any pace. It was literally, you've got no time to do anything. You've got to finish this thing. But now it's kind of, a, I, once the research is done, so I just came back from Taiwan and Australia for the next book. And I mean, for Hunter Killer, I was all over Brazil. We ran around the entire country. Then when you get back, you start posting things. And I have what I call a framework. I don't do an outline where I, I know the threat. I know the general scheme of maneuver. And before the eighth book, I would say I know the ending. After the eighth book, it's probably 80% of the time I know the ending. That was the first one where I changed the ending. Um, so it's actually different every time. I don't, I don't have a writing desk. I don't have a writing regimen. I don't wake up at six and say, I'm going to type this many words and then go to lunch or whatever. Uh, it just, it's kind of free flow. That's very interesting. We we talked to a good number of authors here and thriller writers, and uh, each one has uh, their own process that kind of make it work. So uh, yours um, seems to be very flexible. Yeah, I actually, uh, and uh, you know, when I first started writing, when I, I, I still kind of don't even want to consider myself a writer. It's embarrassing when I tell somebody I'm a writer. I mean, I still do security contracting, so it's like I'd rather say I'm a security contractor hmm. instead of a writer because I, I feel kind of like a fraud. But with 14 books out, I guess I am officially a writer. But I don't have any – I tried to follow what other people said. You should do this and you should do that, and I found that it just didn't work for me. So I said you just need to do what you do. Yeah, it's kind of interesting you say that because I, I've been fortunate to have written a few nonfiction books, and I say the same thing. I, I feel there's a – you know, there's there's folks that are great writers, and I, I'm just one of those guys that's been blessed to get published. Right, exactly. Now, when you look at Hunter Killer and 
you try to walk through the timeline as to what could come next. Like, are you in the process of of noodling around or putting together your book after Hunter Killer? Oh, yeah. I'm actually, I was typing on it before uh, I hooked up with you. It, yeah, I'm writing it right now. I've already done the book research. I ran all over Taiwan, ran all over Australia. It's uh, obviously got a Chinese bent to it. Now Hong Kong's screwing that all up for me. I'm like, would you guys resolve this? I can't write a book until I know what happens in Hong Kong. Yeah, it sounds like you really need to uh, read Stratfor more. We can give you some forecasting as to what's going to take place there. Exactly. Exactly. We'll get back to our conversation in just a minute, but I wanted to talk to you first about Stratfor Worldview. When people ask me what we do here at Stratfor, I always try to say that we make sense of the world. Uh, Look, I've been here now going on almost 20 years, and I've had lots of opportunities to go elsewhere. I've uh, been lucky enough to have cobbled together a few books, but I can say this, that when I sit around the analyst table every morning and watch uh, some of our analysis being put together, I think people uh, would be surprised. And I think that for those of you who really want to see why uh, the world works the way it does, without the bias, without the spin, without the inside the beltway kind of uh, takeaways, uh, I would encourage you to take a look at what we do. Let me make you a special offer. Go to stratfor.com slash Fred Burton and take a look at what we do every day. I don't think you'll be disappointed. Well, what's on the horizon for Brad Taylor on this? Meaning, uh, what do you do after this? Did you give up teaching? Oh, yeah. Well, I, I retired from the military. I, I actually uh, – the book sold, which was uh, uh, kind of a surprise. And then I came out on the uh, full colonel list, bird colonel list, uh, and then I had to make a choice. Do I accept the promotion or do I try to give writing a shot? And um, I had spent a long time deployed, and my daughter was just entering high school. It was a tough decision. Yeah. And, uh, I – said, okay, my wife actually said, if you wanted to stay in the military, you should not have moved from Fort Bragg to Charleston because <laughs> <laughs> I've seen what life's on the other side's like. And I, I said, okay, well, let's give this a shot. And so I, I turned down the promotion and retired and started writing full time. Well, uh, you have done a fabulous job with that. As you look at other writers in the in the genre or the the business, uh, what writers have influenced you or and, and what are you currently reading? Like who do you like to read? Actually, I read murder mysteries, believe it or not. Um, I mean, that's no ding on – at first, I didn't read uh, my own genre just because I was living the genre. I mean, if you're if you're a cop, I'm sure you don't want to read police procedurals. That's just – I mean, I do that on a daily basis. So I didn't I didn't really read it when I was active duty, when I was overseas all the time. So I didn't read any of that. And now I don't read it because I don't want to get swayed. Holy moly, that guy said this, and I can't do it now. I just want to <laughs> be completely blank. So I've always uh, been uh, John uh, Sanford, Robert Crace, uh, Joseph Fender, John Lascois. I read murder mysteries, basically. Interesting, interesting. As you were growing up, did you also read books? Oh, yeah. I was a voracious reader. I was a kid underneath the uh, covers at night when the mom would come in and say, turn that flashlight off and quit reading. I've gone through every phase there is. I went through the science fiction phase with, you know, Heinlein and everybody else. I went through a Stephen King phase. I went through a fantasy phase with Terry Brooks and Tolkien and uh, Piers Anthony. I mean, I've read just about everything. When you think about your time in special forces, especially with uh, the elite tier one service like Delta, what are some of the takeaways from a leadership perspective that you think the military taught you? Uh, I actually, it's not 
I'll be honest with you. I wouldn't say it's from the you know, lead perspective, although I, I certainly learned a lot from there. Uh, it's just the military as a whole. I mean, you get infused from the day I was a second lieutenant. I mean, when I went, I was a second lieutenant. I walked into my brigade commander's office. Is General Kellogg, who's now uh, Pence's aide, but he was my brigade commander way back then. And uh, he said one thing to me. He was a Vietnam veteran, obviously. And uh, uh, he said, hey, you don't know what you're doing. But I'll tell you this. If you think it's wrong, it probably is. And you need to stand up for what's right. And that's the kind of ethos that started out from the second lieutenant all the way forward. It was do what's right. Do the right thing. Yeah, that's like wonderful advice. And uh, that's uh, brilliant to hear. And when you look around the news, Brad, uh, and this might not be a fair question, but I'd love to know your thoughts on this. You see some horrific incidents in the special forces community that, you know, are are brought yeah. to light with trials and so forth. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, I honestly think they should let the military justice system do its due course. I mean, there's we've been at war for so long, there's been kind of a fracture in uh, the moral compass uh, in a lot of different organizations. And um, some of them, I, I, I look at the, the, the studies of, of the, the actual case itself and say, that guy deserves to get barbecued. Other ones, I look at it and say, oh, I'm not so sure. That one, let it go to trial, and I bet he gets exonerated. Um, I think the military justice system is what it is. There's Obviously, there's flaws in every system, but I, I think they should have let it play out. When you think about the conflicts that are facing our special forces community in today's environment, Brad, where do you see the biggest challenges for an organization like Delta on the horizon? Well, I think it's bigger than just my old unit. The, uh, the, I mean, the unit's a National Command Authority-driven thing for strategic operations. A bigger issue is SOCOM as a whole. Uh, everybody wants to have, um, you know, hey, that NBA team's really good. Let's make 10 NBA teams. Well, it doesn't work that way. There's only so big you can get. And because of that, there's only so much you can do. Uh, and I think the stress they're putting on the force because it's a Band-Aid. It's like, you know, send those guys to Niger and send those guys to fight the Lord's Resistant Army and send these guys over here to do this, that, and the other thing. Eventually, those guys get broken. You just can't keep doing that. I mean, I did it forever, and I'm like, this is – I don't know. We can't keep this pace up. And there has to be an adjudication between uh, our own national security strategy and the Band-Aid fix of if I do this and not tell anybody, it'll just solve the problem. That worked for a little bit, but it's not going to work as a long-term solution. Do you think we have too many missions, meaning we're, we're overcommitted around the globe? I don't, I don't think that we're – I think we're overcommitted, yes. But I think that a lot of those missions that we're overcommitted with are not soft missions. Somebody else could do them. And when you're, you're, you're committing soft as a national resource, you're trying to solve a specific problem. It's easy to send soft in to train somebody up to do something. Well – the SFABs, I mean, the Army actually realizes this. The Department of Defense does. They've created the SFAB battalions to precisely relieve SAW from doing all these ancillary tasks. It's not like I'm inventing anything. Tony Thomas himself, you know, he's saying this. We've got to focus. When you say you're the tip of the spear, that means you're only going to use the spear somewhere. You can't be the tip of the spear and then go around brushing the room, which is basically what's happened for the last 20 years. So they're, they're, they're getting it right now, but it's going to take some time. That's very interesting. What advice would you give to the individuals that are listening to this that might want to become thriller writers or transitioning from the military or trying to follow your path? As you look back, what would you tell them to do? Honestly, and this is going to sound trite, the first thing I tell them to do, and I I get emails all the time from uh, 
tons of people. I think you've had Jack Carr on. He emailed me before he was published. I've got yeah. tons of people that have contacted me and I've become friends with. And Jack Carr's a friend of mine now. Uh, I tell them all the same thing. The first thing you have to do is write a book. I mean, I get yeah. a ton of people that say, hey, I've got this great outline. How do I get a contract to write a book? Well, no, the first thing you have to do is just literally write the book. Get the book done and then start thinking about everything else. The first thing is the book. The rest of it is everything else. Just don't worry about the publishing industry. Don't worry about agents. Don't worry about any of that stuff. Worry about the book. Make it the best book you possibly can. And if it's a good book, it'll sell. Yeah, that's very practical advice. I think that you've kind of hit the nail on the head with that. Uh, as you think through that, um, the business of books, I know from my experience, is something that once you get that book done, what other advice would you pass along? Uh, if you're a, a brand new author, uh, and you've never had a book published or anything like that, I would definitely get a second eyes. It's going to cost money, but I would hire a freelance editor to take a look at it. Don't don't rely on um, you know your wife and your mom and your brother or whatever because they're all going to love the book, think it's the best thing ever. You need somebody that has a critical eye that actually knows the publishing industry to take a look at it. And I did that, and uh, she was absolutely brutal and ripped me apart, and I had to rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. But it definitely made my book better. What I thought was the best book ever now became a publishable book. Yeah, sometimes you need that tough love, right? Oh, yeah. Because, I mean, if you think of all the people that are trying to get it published, nowadays, I mean, in the old days, it was kind of like, oh, I'm looking for the diamond in the rough. I'm going to have the next big thing. Nowadays, they get so many manuscripts. If, if there's a typo in the first page, they'll toss it in the slush pile. That's the end of it. So yeah. they, they looked at it as an indicator of what the rest of this thing's going to be like. So it, the book is, the manuscript you submit has got to be just about as close to perfect as you can make it. And you are, you have a beautiful website. I think you've done a fabulous job with that. And how big is social media in, in your life and uh, the promotion of books? It's huge. And, you know, I, my wife's going to yell at me for saying this, but social media is the devil. <laughs> I, can't, I can't stand it. But, I mean, you have to engage. I mean, you have to do that kind of thing. And so it's, it consumes a lot of time that I just wish is just like, God, do I really need to do this? But, you know, you have to. I mean, I'm not talking about engaging back and forth with fans. I enjoy that. I'm talking about the publishers like, you got to put this out. You got to put that out. Let's do, do this on social media and let's do that. So that's just a, that's not something I enjoy. That's part of the publishing industry that I really do not enjoy. Yeah, I understand. It's like a full-time job just to stay current. It is, exactly. Well, thank you so much, Brad Taylor, for our listeners. Brad's next book, Hunter Killer, is out January the 7th, and it's a continuation of his Pike Logan series. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. If they want to check anything out, they can go to bradtaylorbooks.com. I've got excerpts of uh, all the books right there. Awesome. You can find more about Brad Taylor and his new thriller, Hunter Killer, a Pike Logan novel, in our show notes. And for those of you interested in Strat4, you can find more about becoming a Worldview member at stratford.com slash Fred Burton. And thanks for listening.